my older brother Ari was tragically murdered in a terrorist attack about four years ago. A lot of people talk about terrorist victims, you know, but they don't really speak a lot about the family and, and the effects on a family um, are, are pretty bad. Uh, as you mentioned, I have a very strong family and that's, that's still true till today, but you know, it, I, I don't want to sound too dramatic, but you know, things never go back to the way they were. one person actually make a difference in unifying the entire world? What are some tools I can use to live a life of more freedom? These are just some of the concepts you'll hear about in every episode of See One Beautiful Soul. Hello, friends. It's been a minute. I had to take a few weeks off from putting out the podcast because I had a little bit of a back injury. had to figure that out. Um, And also, I think I just needed a little bit of a break. There's just been so much going on in the world with the Ukrainian and Russian war. Um, And what's going on in Israel right now is really tragic and scary. And in light of that, um, I am having Hillel Fold on the podcast today. Hillel was once named Israel's top marketer and the man transforming startup nation to scale up nation by Forbes. He's a tech journalist, technology expert. He works with companies and accompanies them from idea to revenue. He also works with many leading tech brands as an influencer, and those include Google, Oracle. He's been featured in CNBC, Inc. Magazine, Fast Company. He was also named the seventh most influential tech blogger on the internet and among the top 100 most influential social media personalities across the globe. He also has a podcast called bootstrapped.com. And amongst all his accomplishments, he lists the most important ones as having his wife, Rachel, and his five amazing kids. He also takes a lot of pride that he used his extensive network to help hundreds of people get jobs in the Israeli tech ecosystem. But the main reason that I'm having Hillel on today is to talk about how he deals with tragedy. Some of you may have heard his name before because Hillel is part of a family, the Fold family, F-U-L-D, and his brother, Ari, was tragically murdered in a terrorist attack a few years ago. I actually had the distinct honor of meeting Ari, his brother, uh, about a year before it happened at Ari's home. Uh, I was staying with a member of Ari's extended family in Jerusalem, and they said, would you like to go to a barbecue? And I said, how can we go to a barbecue? It's the week of Tisha B'Av, which is a nine-day period when Jews don't eat meat. It's the only (laughs) week of the year that we don't, um, in observation of the temple falling and uh, Jerusalem basically getting mutilated by people who wanted to get rid of Jews. And so in honor of that and the Holocaust and World War I and World War II, we don't eat meat. We don't go swimming. We basically take away all the fun stuff that you do in the middle of the summer. And sorry for all you vegans out there. I know you're saying you shouldn't be eating meat anyway, but believe it or not, some people like to barbecue. So uh, I'm not a huge meat eater, but I do like a good barbecue once in a while. And I said, sure, I'll, I'll go. I said, why are we allowed to eat meat? And I learned that week because I'm still after 20 years still learning about Judaism that if a person is able to study a particular tractate of Jewish law and complete it by a certain day, on that day, you can have a big barbecue. And so that particular day, he he planned it very well. He was able to still eat meat during the nine days, which is such, if you think about it, it's such a holy way of getting around a specific law just to fulfill your appetite, so to speak. And meeting Ari was really inspiring. I had heard about him before. I read some of his blog posts. I'd seen over the years just how fearless and courageous he was in standing up for Israel and the Jewish people and really any minority that was having trouble. Uh, He was a very educated person when it came to the conflict in Israel and the Middle East, and I always admired his courage. But actually meeting him and going to his house, I was a little intimidated. And, you know, I didn't always agree with the way he did it because he was very in your face about it. And I think for all of us who support Israel and Israel's right to exist, there's a little piece of me that's a little bit scared of being so outspoken about it and supporting those who who are. I think with everything that happens in the media and how brash and gross people can be in their support of anything, whether it's civil liberties or peace even, uh, it can be misinterpreted so quickly and so easily. And people can twist words around. And people did that to Ari all the time. And they were unkind and they were cruel and they were beyond tech bullies. He was bullied in the street. And I always just looked up to him for not giving up on his cause and trying to protect the state of Israel and the Jewish people and really democracy in general. And so meeting him was very inspiring 
Uh, it also happened to be the, the week of my Hebrew birthday, which is Rosh Chodesh Av, which was uh, just a few days before I met him. And it happens to be that on my Hebrew birthday, I share it with the yard site of Aaron HaKohen. Aaron, being Moses' brother, died, and it is mentioned in the Torah. It's the only death mentioned in the Torah, the actual date. And he was a pursuer of peace. He was a Rodaf Shalom. So it's said about him that if Sylvia and Barney were having a fight, he'd go up to Sylvia and say, Sylvia, Barney's so in love with you, and he he's so sorry he said that thing about your cooking. He really didn't mean it. He's so appreciative of you. And she would say, are you kidding? Really? Is that how he really feels? And then he'd go up to Barney and say, Sylvia's just really embarrassed. She really didn't mean what she said. And then, lo and behold, a few minutes later, Sylvia and Barney would be making up and going for ice cream and having a great time. And I just want to say, I think it's no mistake that I was born on this man's yard site, his day of passing away, because I really am a pursuer of peace, too. And one of the reasons I started this podcast is because, maybe it's because of how I grew up and there was so much fighting in my home, but when I would see my parents make up after fighting for so many hours, there was a part of me that felt healed. And... I created this podcast as a safe space so that people could get together even through the stratosphere online and listen to different points of view and try to make sense of this thing that we're all growing through called life. There is no one that's listening that hasn't experienced severe pain and severe joy. There's no one listening to this that has strong opinions about some country, some group of people, and We are all here to try to understand one another and make sense of how we go through pain and tragedy and come out the other side and and stronger. And if there's someone who can speak to that idea of going through massive pain and loss and struggle and come out the other, other end, it's Hillel. I think you'll be really inspired by his words. So without further ado, here is Hillel Fold. Hello, Fold. So great to have you on See One Beautiful Soul. This podcast is for people who are looking to get just a touch of inspiration in their life. Most of us right now are are going through a bit of a funk and want to come out inspired, feeling lifted, feeling like uh, the world is actually a very kind, beautiful place. And there's always magic and there's always goodness. We just have to look for it. And you strike me as one of those people. And I know you've been through a lot of interesting things. And so I just couldn't wait to sit with you and, and ask you three questions I always ask everybody. So welcome. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you for having me. And um, I could tell you right now, your energy, give me some of that. Oh, you have it. I feel like you have it even more than I do. Um, all your pictures and, you know, I know your family a little bit because I know my friend Joe for 20 years. If your family married into that family and I met your parents, you know, I get that you guys have a lot of amazing energy, very strong family. So why don't you take us back a little bit? I'm always amazed at why people move to different countries. And I know the whole family made Aliyah, right? You all left yes. New York, you went to Israel And for most people growing up in America, it's like, ah, you know, we'll go visit. Maybe we'll even have a summer home there. But like, what what instilled that in you guys? I guess we'll start from uh, sixth grade. I'm in sixth grade. And uh, my dad is the principal of my school in SAR in the Bronx. (laughs) Get out of here. Wow, I love that. So um, theater and music and mindfulness there for like two years. Amazing. That's awesome. I think it's safe to say SAR is about the only elementary school that kids are actually excited to go to. Best years of my life. Anyway, that was the principal. He was given a sabbatical year in Israel. And so we picked up and came to Israel when I was in sixth grade. And, you know, I picked up the language. It took me a little bit, but I picked up the language. And like a few months into that year, my parents came to like a parents' teachers meeting. And my teacher said to my parents, like, you know, he sits there and he doesn't like, he doesn't disturb, but he doesn't really participate. My parents are like, you know, he's been in Israel for like two months, right? They're like, what? We didn't even know he wasn't Israeli. And then I went back to America. And I didn't, you know, when you're a kid, you pick up languages. So I didn't, I didn't really forget the Hebrew. And then the deal was that my dad has to be principal for at least three years after the sabbatical. And on the day we were on a plane, three day, three years later, we're on the plane. And today Zionism is, is like a dirty word. But he was brought up in a fam- very Zionistic home. It was always kind of very clear to my family that America is just like a temporary stop on the way home. Obviously, you know, my grandparents from Germany and from Hungary, it's a whole it's a whole thing. But the bottom line is I came here when I was in uh, 10th grade. So ninth grade, I was in New York and then 10th grade in Jerusalem, which is, as you can imagine, not uh, not such an ideal age or such a transition. I'm not going to lie. A couple of years uh, in, I was, you know, I was pretty bitter in the beginning, but now the punchline, 28 years later, it's the best thing that ever happened to me, both personally and professionally. Personally, I live in Beit Shemesh, town in between Jerusalem and Tel Aviv, and five kids, wonderful family, wonderful life, loving my career, having, a, you know, living it up. When we were growing up, to move to Israel meant you had to lower your quality of life. Today, 
it is completely not true. You can come here and you can increase and, you know, make, have a better quality of life. It's exciting times. And that's kind of on a personal level. On the professional level, I always had a very, very deep passion for technology. I didn't really know how I was going to get into the world of tech, but I always knew that I would. I studied political science, which obviously has nothing to do with what I do for a living. But I found myself at my first job, a technical writer. So that's the guy who's who write the user guides that no one ever reads. On the one hand, very, very boring. On the other hand, I learned very important lessons throughout those years. And the two biggest lessons that I learned are one, that my love of technology is actually deeper than I thought, because here I am. I'm writing user guides about enterprise servers. And I should be bored out of my mind, but I'm loving it. And the second thing I learned is the skill to, let's call it interview someone technical and simplify their jargon into something that a normal person can understand, which is what I then used to blog. And so that started my whole career. That's how I got to where I am. I mean, it started there and uh, hasn't stopped. You know, this is going to come up. So I, I don't make small talk really. Uh <laughs> I'm Jewish with a capital J. This podcast is all about forgiveness. So if I just asked you point blank, what was the biggest forgiveness moment in your life? What would be the first thing that you would say? Wow. That is a, that is, nobody's ever asked me that question before. The sky's the limit. Some people say themselves, some people say God, say a family I mean, member. Uh, heavy, you know, from the get-go. You had uh, the questions. I sent you the questions. I, mean, I just came back from a TV studio where I had to speak about Twitter and Instagram's role in the war. And they're like, prepare. Like, if I prepare, then, I, then it doesn't come off authentic. So I, I always wing it. I looked at your questions, but I, whatever. Anyway. Um, oh, so that's yeah, how that's, you're wearing the Twitter bird on your, on your shirt. Yeah, there you go. My older brother, Ari, was tragically murdered in a terrorist attack about three and a half years ago, four years ago. So a lot of people talk about terrorist victims, you know, but they don't really speak a lot about the family. And, and the effects on a family um, are, are pretty bad. Uh, as you mentioned, I have a very strong family, and that's, that's still true till today, but... You know, I don't want to sound too dramatic, but, you know, things never go back to the way they were. But as far as forgiveness is concerned, I don't think I've ever spoken about this publicly, but Ari bullied me pretty badly as a kid. We never really confronted it. We worked in parallel professions. We both used social media. He used it for Israel advocacy and I used it for technology, but we both worked on social media. And so we had a lot of overlap. And a lot of times he would ask me for favors, whether it was because our enemies decided to attack him on Facebook and get his account banned. So he would then ask me to, you know, use my connections on Facebook to get his, his account reinstated. And over the years, he asked me for a lot of favors and obviously I was always happy to help. But deep down inside, I think I was always a little bit resentful about you know, him bullying me as a kid. We never really confronted it. And I kind of, I think, subconsciously believe, all right, we'll talk about it one day or not. Uh, obviously, that day never came. And it's hard. On the one hand, listen, obviously, it doesn't even, you can't even, I'm not putting it on the same level as the as the mourning and the sadness. But yeah, I, I do kind of wish somewhere that I would have spoken to him about it. But, you know, you got to you gotta forgive and you got you to gotta move on and learn from uh, a great man. He was a great man. So I guess that's my biggest forgiveness ever. Wow. Uh, I'm already crying. I didn't expect that, right? <laughs> Not at all. And I, what I love about the answer is that it's so real and it's so raw. And it's almost like you're saying you wish you had forgiven yourself. I had the honor of meeting your brother the summer before it happened. I didn't think I was going to start crying this quickly. It's just so surreal to see you. And that week of, of Tishbab, Anna invited me to go to your brother's for a meat meal because you could eat meat if you study the Torah. You have like a... So he had just learned, I think, with your father, a masachet or something from the Talmud and had everybody over for a big meal. And so that's how I met him. I met him at his house. I was so moved. And I, of course, I had heard about him and seen his videos, you know, very outspoken about Israel. And it would rattle me sometimes because I was like, oh my gosh, I hope he's okay. I hope no one's like after him. To hear like just a year later that this happened. For the, the listeners who don't know what happened, do you want to just explain a little bit how it happened? Sure. Uh, but before I do that, I actually want to tell you a, a story that, again, I don't think I've ever spoken about publicly, but it was very relevant to what I'm you just so said. I'm so honored. I love this non-publicly <laughs> stuff. This is great. Yeah. He worked in Israel advocacy, which obviously is not a very lucrative business from a monetary economic perspective. And so I, I approached him one day. And I said, Ari, like you have a lot of talents. Let's, you know, let's get you into tech. You can make real money. And he was like, all right, let's, you know, let's talk about it. So long story short, I, I, uh, I spoke to a friend of mine, the CEO of a company, and they hired him. He was working there. And then, like you mentioned, he had one of these seums in his house where he finished the tractate of Talmud. And the blessing or the prayer that we say when we finish a tractate of Talmud, the word is just loosely translating. We get up in the morning and they get up in the morning. We get up in the morning to run to the basement just to learn Torah. They run to, you know, to nonsense. Referring to, you know, our important, our understanding of how important Torah is and its central theme in our lives. And when he was saying those words that they run to nonsense. Miriam, his wife, told me that he started to cry because he says, what am I doing in tech? 
And he basically quit that job and went back to defending Israel online. Ari was a hero on, on so many levels. On a, on a physical level, you know, he was a fourth degree black belt. He was a big dude. He volunteered in the IDF and climbed up the ranks. And he was what's called a Magist, which is a guy that carries around the mag machine gun, which is a machine gun literally created to be carried by a tank, not by a human being. So he was a big dude. And uh, his his uh, sergeant at the funeral said that he, he, he approached Ari just a couple of months before and said, Ari, you've been carrying this mag for like 20 years. It's time to give it to someone a little younger than you. And Ari would like, wouldn't even have, like, he was like, what are you talking about? This is my gun. I'm not giving it to anyone. So he came to Israel by himself before his family. And he volunteered in the IDF, climbed up the ranks. Uh, he made a real name for himself on the internet, defending Israel. And then uh, he was walking one Sunday morning in his neighborhood, shopping for his family. And a 16-year-old Palestinian kid stabbed him in the neck and a main artery, which I'm not, an, I'm not a doctor, but there, there's no surviving, you know, I guess the kid got lucky because um, he got him this main artery and it's basically immediate death. And he literally had no blood in his veins within like within an instant. And somehow nobody knows how he managed to run after the terrorist 50 meters, jump over a wall and shoot the guy. He didn't kill him, but he shot him because the guy was about two feet away from his next victim, a woman who sells falafel in that place, who's now become part of the family. But he basically, in his last breath, literally in his last breath, saved lives. And so he got the honor from the state of Israel as a national hero. You just have to think about it in the historical perspective. When my grandmother was in Auschwitz, if we had told her that her grandson would be a national hero of the state of Israel, I can't even imagine what her reaction would have been. That's what happened. I can tell you on my end, I was at work that morning. I was at a startup's office and I was reading Israeli news, you know, just like on a news website. And there was a big play button next to a news item that said there was a terrorist attack in this place. And of course I pressed play and I watched this kid stab this guy in the back and this Superman of a guy then runs after him and shoots him. I'm thinking to myself, who is this guy? And so I asked in the full WhatsApp group, is, every, is everyone okay? Cause I knew it was near Ari's house. And uh, I got that, that phone call uh, with uh, two, two words that will never, ever, ever escape my brain for as long as I live. Uh, it was my older brother, Donnie, who called and said, it's him. Um, and so I obviously quickly closed my computer, took all my stuff, ran to the hospital. And on the way, Donnie called me and said, don't rush. And so speaking of uh, the F word, pretty sure I, I uttered that F word, a different F word than you mentioned in the car. Unbelievable, still is unbelievable. As often happens after he was murdered, the story started to pour in by the thousands, by the thousands. I can tell you that Benjamin Netanyahu came to the house and said, you guys have to write a book. He said, we didn't write the book about all the stories about Yoni Netanyahu who was killed. You have to write a book. We haven't done that yet, but the stories are just absolutely remarkable. I have people reaching out to me from all corners of the earth saying, you know, your brother changed my life. And I say, oh, you, you know, were you friends? And they say, no. I said, well, did you meet him? No. Did you ever speak to him? No. How did he change your life? And he, he did. He touched millions of lives, which is remarkable from a personal perspective. But as a person who lives on social media, it's also remarkable from a professional perspective that one single person can reach that many lives. But I do want to say one thing that I think is chills inducing. Um, and and you know, my, my dad spoke about it before. I've spoken about it before. But as someone, as you said, you believe in, you know, in, in Hebrew, Hebrew birthdays. And I'm, I, just from getting your vibe, I, I, I think that this is going to move you. I don't know if you heard the story, but it's, it's, it's mind boggling. So um, when Ari was born, now it's I guess, 50 years ago, my parents named him Ari. Did you hear this? The, I'm gonna know you didn't hear this. This is gonna blow your mind. Like, sit down, hold on to your chair. I'm not. I'm not even kidding. But this is gonna blow your mind. So they named him Ari. Now, generally speaking, Ari was a shortcut of Arié, which means lion. Ari wasn't really a word. It wasn't really a name that was common. So many, many people asked my parents, like, where do you get that? Like, what's Ari? Is it a shortcut? And they're like, no, Ari is his name. And they're like, where do you like? And like, we we like the name. They didn't think much of it. Anyway, fast forward, you know, 30, 40 years, and Ari becomes who he was. And you know, he moves to Israel by himself. And like I said, he, he's a real hero. He, he literally like old school conquers the land, like biblical stuff, right? He was a real hero. So if you, you know, if you look at Ari's life, he had a few characteristics that were very dominant. One of them is, first of all, like I said, he was a hero who conquered the land. Uh, the second thing is I would wake up sometimes in the middle of the night and I would see Ari debating on Facebook with some anti-Semite. And I'd say to him, Ari, what are you doing? Go to sleep. Like, are you nuts? It's four o'clock in the morning. He was like, what are you talking about? I got to, you know, this guy's spreading lies. I need to tell him the truth. And I said, but he's not, you're not going to change this person's mind. And he said, it's not about them. It's about the thousands of people watching this dialogue. They need to know the truth. But the guy did not sleep. 
I, I'm not even, I don't know when he slept. He was up all day, all night protecting Israel. So he did not sleep. Another characteristic is, like I mentioned, he was a fourth degree black belt. And so um, when he would pray, and most of us do like a shuckling gesture or movement, he would stand in meditation, like you couldn't even move him, deep in prayer. And specifically one prayer, which is the prayer of Shema, which is one of the most important prayers in Judaism. Uh, you know, it proclaims God's oneness. And he was just very, very passionate about Shema. I don't know why, and I don't know where he got that from, but he was. There are videos of him on Facebook with a megaphone screaming, Shema Yisrael, Shema. He was very passionate about it. Uh, and, and another thing that he was very passionate about, and again, don't know why, don't know where, uh, is tzitzis, is the commandment to wear, you know, fringes on your four-cornered uh, garment. Uh, he was very, very passionate about it. Okay, so those were a couple of characteristics that described Ari. After the terrorist attack, my parents opened the Torah, and they said, where is this name Ari? Like, where did we get it from? What is the source for the name Ari. And I'm opening my phone now because I want to read something to you that, like I said, I mean, this, this will blow your mind. So there's two mentions in the whole Torah of the word Ari. Okay, I'm going to read you the verse, and I'm going to read you the translation, and I'm going to read you the commentary. The, the verse says, Karash achav ke ari. He, They crouch, they lie down like a lion, Ari, which is a lion. Like the king of beasts who dare rouse them. That's the, That's the verse, okay? Now, if I would say to you, Please define a lion, okay? Because the, the, the verse says, Ari, a lion. So I would ask you to define it. You'd say, you know, the most powerful animal in the animal kingdom. You, you, there are a lot of ways you would define a lion. Let me read to you what Rashi, the biggest commentator on the Torah says. I'm reading word for word. If, if you don't believe me, look it up because this is hard to believe. No, this is actually hard to believe. Karash shachav ke'ari. He crouched, he lay down as a lion. What is Ari? This is what Rashi says, word for word. Kitargumo, like the other commentary, Unculus, who explains what a lion is. You ready? They will settle the land with strength and heroism. That is the definition of a lion, which is, if that was the only time, that would just, I mean, that's just unbelievable. That's how you define a lion. But wait, it gets significantly better. The second time the word Ari appears in the Torah, this is just completely wild. Lo, a people that rise like a lion, leaps up like the king of beasts. You ready? Lo yishkav, he won't sleep. The lion doesn't sleep. That is what the pasuk said. That is what the verse says. Now wait till you hear what Rashi says. Hold on to your seat. This is just, all right, you ready? When the lion gets up in the morning, they overcome themselves and their desires like a lion to grab the commandments of the Torah. And which commandments does Rashi list? You ready? Those, out of all the 613 commandments that Rashi could have listed, he lists Atalus, Shema, and prayer. It's his autobiography. So yeah, he was a remarkable dude. If you can get Rashi to write your autobiography like 2,000 yeah. years before you die, I mean, that's pretty awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, may his neshama have an aliyah by everyone Amen. hearing that beautiful beautiful torah given by his younger brother um it's my dad by the way I, my dad said it i didn't i just copied it from him you copied it pretty well i think you made it your own i think you stamped Thank it you. <laughs> um yeah you know when you light something with beautiful words of torah it just there's more and more light and you you have a lot of light hello um okay. and your name is very fitting i you know learning hello in uh, the Gemara, it it it's very, it's very, very fitting for you. You're, you're I, I, out there. I have to say something. I have to say something now because you brought it up. I mean, I wasn't going to say anything, but I got I to tell you something. Recently, this happened recently. I was talking to someone. They said to me, like, what do you, like, what, what makes you feel alive? Like in your career, what do you love doing? And in my career, I built an entire career on elevating and empowering others, whether it's through interviewing them, whatever it is, empowering others. In Hebrew, we call it firgun, which in English, kind of like the loose translation is kind of giving props or giving a stage to other people, right? This is what I do my whole career. I love praising others. I love, I enjoy it, right? So this person said to me, when you praise others, how do you feel? I said, I feel complete. I feel complete and I feel alive. And then they looked at me and they said, what's your name? And I said, Hillel Chaim Shlomo. Hillel means to praise. Chaim is life and Shlomo is Shalem, feeling whole. It blew my mind. And I'm not that type of guy. Like I'm not into the superstitious stuff, but oh my God, I mean, you can't ignore that. That was just mind blowing. Your parents obviously did 
many, many, many things, right? Um, the fact that your father was even a principal for a day at the school that I love teaching at the most. And it's basically camp for Jewish kids during the day. There's no walls literally in the whole school. And it's, even though it's rooted in Orthodox Judaism, it's very, very open in terms of like, it, it, there's so many contradictions with the school. It's very loud. Um, I fit right in there. I, I miss it. <laughs> but um, getting back to, uh, you know, how, how you recover from something like that. I think all of our listeners uh, who are probably riveted by everything that's happened so far, and we've totally gone out of order and whatever, but it doesn't matter. Um, that's what I love about you. You're like all over the place in the, in the most colorful, beautiful way. Um, I, I love how you turn that into a compliment, but okay, I'll take it. <laughs> no, it's amazing. We're very similar because we, we know the through line. The through line is Hashem. The through line is oneness. And the title of this podcast is See One Beautiful Soul. And I want to get back to that very first thing that you said, which is that you, when I asked you what was the biggest thing you had to forgive, you actually, you, you started with your issues with Ari. And I didn't expect you to say that, but I'm so glad you did because I'm sure there's a lot of people with unfinished business in Alam Hazah in this world. And I think that's such a heroic thing to start with. And so I don't want to let that go. Okay. I want to know, uh, first of all, how you forgive Hashem, God, the oneness, the universe for, for allowing this to happen when it did. And I'm sure you could probably, you probably don't even know all the ramifications of why it had to happen at that exact time. I'm sure you've already thought about it though, because you're such a spiritual person. But how do you, first of all, forgive that it happened? Or if you've even gotten yourself to a place where you could forgive the killer, um, I'd love to hear about that because in today's day and age, we are so divided. And part of what makes us so divided is holding on to anger and resentment towards people that we all know are all just vessels of God's light. All of us, right. we, for whatever reason, we have a mission in this world. And even the, the, those disgusting, awful, evil atrocities, we have to, in, we may not get there, but we have to try to understand that, that they all have a purpose. So if you could just touch a little bit on that, and then we'll get back to the first thing you said. So, I mean, I'm, I'm going to disagree with your premise. Um, you're asking me how I can forgive God. I'm not sure that I have to forgive God, because if I have to forgive God for every bad thing that happens, that means I have to praise God for every good thing that happens. That means I have to get up and, and pronounce my gratitude to God that I opened my eyes this morning. Did I do that? No, I didn't do that. So if I'm not thanking him for every single good thing, then how could I blame him for every single bad thing? That's inconsistent and that's hypocrisy. So I don't really look at it that way. You know, the question of how could God have let the Holocaust happen? Maybe it's, maybe it's a, you know, maybe it's a, um, a, a lack of faith. Maybe it's, maybe it's my weakness. I don't know, but I don't believe God did the Holocaust. <laughs> I, I mean, Hitler did the Holocaust. I mean, could, could God have stopped it? Yes. But I, I, I think God lets us human beings run the world. And so, you know, could God have stopped that 16 year old Palestinian kid? Of course he could have, but it wasn't God who said, let's kill Ari at this moment. I mean, I know that that's a little bit of a, like a heretic view, but it's a very fine line in the balance between, God knowing something's going to happen to God making something happen. And, and it's a much longer discussion, but the bottom line is I don't feel like I have to forgive God um, for this because I don't understand, you know, God's ways or the, the reason that things happen. And so I, I can't even pretend to understand it. The only thing that I always tell myself, uh, and I know this is extremely simplistic and kind of like, I don't even know infantile or whatever you want to call it, which is that when I bring my kid to get a shot at the doctor, he cries and thinks this doctor hates him. And we know the doctor doesn't hate him. We know the doctor is doing something for his, you know, benefit. But this kid can't understand it because his field of view is so limited that he can't fathom the concept that this guy is sticking a needle in his arm because he loves him. So that's kind of how I view the world. I mean, we can't, I can't understand it. Even trying to understand it is, it's, it's ridiculous. Like I'm, I have, I'm a little pipsqueak, you know, a little dot in, in this massive universe and who am I to try to understand God's ways? I'm nobody. So I, I don't have the, I don't feel the need to forgive God. Having said that about the murderer, um, when he was on trial, they asked me if I wanted to come to the court. My other brothers did go. I could not go. Uh, I couldn't look at this guy in the face. Um, I, I don't, I'm, I mean, I'm, it's not like I walk around, you know, harboring anger, but I, I don't think, again, I don't feel, I don't feel like I have the need to forgive this guy. Like let him, you know, spend the rest of his life in jail. Um, you know, listen, if I felt like it was eating me up inside and I'm always angry, then obviously I would have to deal with it. But 
you know, that's not the case. Um, as far as, you know, me moving on with my life, um, uh, you know, I'll be honest, you know, after, uh, after the murder, um, as I'm sure many families of terrorist victims, I, I was not in a good place. Um, and one of, I'm just, this is an unbelievable story. Uh, one of the many things that were weighing on me uh, was how am I going to support my family? Like I can't get out of bed. I can't put on my socks in the morning. How am I going to support my family? We're five kids. Like I'm, you know, and it was very much weighing on me for, for a while. And I didn't, I didn't really know how to get past that anxiety. And then about a month afterwards, I got a phone call a month after the murder. I got a phone call from a really good friend of mine. who's a very successful entrepreneur. And he says to me, hello, please come to Tel Aviv to meet me. And I said to him, Kobe, like, I love you, but I'm not, I'm not taking business meetings right now. He said, come to Tel Aviv. Now this guy is like very soft-spoken, very not pushy. And I was like, this is extremely uncharacteristic of him. And I love the guy. He's always been great to me. So I'm like, all right, fine. I get in my car, go to Tel Aviv. I meet him in a cafe in the middle of Tel Aviv. I sit down across from him. He looks in my eyes and he says to me the following sentence. He says, Hillel, me and the 300 other people you've helped over the years, we will not let you fall. The tears started to stream. I went home and I, I, I think it is safe to say he saved my life. I'm not, not to say that I was, God forbid, suicidal, but I didn't know what I was going to do. And he gave me that cushion, even though it was just... A, you know, listen, it's that one sentence. And I could, I could talk about how to communicate with someone, you know, who has lost a loved one and what to say, what not to say. I'll just say one more thing. And that is that there's an amazing book that someone dropped off at my house one Friday afternoon and said, read this book. Uh, it's called Option B uh, by Sheryl Sandberg, um, which is a phenomenal book. Her husband basically dropped dead one day and she talks about option B. You have to live life or you know, option A is drowning in mourning. Option B is living life. And there's one story in that book that resonated so strongly with me. She said that people were calling her all the time saying, what can I do? What can I do? What can I do? And she's like, I can't, don't tell me, don't ask me what, what you can do, right? Just do. And she said, someone called her once and said, what don't you want on your hamburger? Meaning I'm getting you a hamburger. Don't make any decisions. Just tell me what you don't like. And she's like, that is what I needed. And I said to my, it just hit home for me because you know, people have good intentions and God forbid, I don't want to throw anyone under the bus, but like people are asking me, what can I do? And I'm like, I, I can't tell you what to do. If you want to do something, just do it. Don't ask me because I can't decide anything right now. So, you know, the bottom line is obviously time quote unquote heals. It doesn't heal, but it, I guess gives you a little comfort. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I went right back to work within a couple of months because I want to distract myself, which is extremely unhealthy. Uh, and the government pays for our therapy. I didn't uh, take that offer, unfortunately. And I said to myself, I'll always be distracted. So I'll work. Work makes me happy. And I just won't think about it. And that's it. Little did I know that a pandemic was coming uh, in which I'd have to sit at home and sit with my thoughts. So like many millions of people in the beginning of COVID, I had to deal with a lot of um, you know, depression. It was just full-blown depression. Um, and I learned about the mental health space and that's a whole discussion in and of itself, but you know, you gotta, you gotta do what you gotta do. You gotta live life. Okay. So very quickly, I don't necessarily think because you forgive someone doesn't mean that they don't need to spend their whole life in jail. I think the, the punishment uh, could never fit the crime. What, what this gentleman chose to do with a knife so quickly and just eradicate some a force that was so big in this world um, you know, I think Ari's spirit will always live on through all the thousands and thousands and thousands of people, maybe even millions of people that he touched through his life and through his death. Um, and we, we, we don't know, it's none of our business, like how it affects it and, 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 and why it had to happen at that time. But, you know, I'm just picking that bone with you and, and, you know, you're, you're welcome to say Barb, but you know, it's none of your business. No, of course you're, I, I agree with you. I agree with you. The, the original, you know, listen, the very first guest that I had on the, on the podcast, just, just so you know, and, I, and I'm going to send you the episode um, if you haven't heard it yet, is Azim Kamisa, whose son was tragically murdered with one bullet one time by a gang member who was trying to get into a gang and was dared by an 18-year-old, he was 14, the killer, to kill someone to show, to prove that he wanted the belonging of being in the gang. And Horrible. the reason I had him on first is because uh, one of my friends who works in Jewish education through music, Craig, was like, you got to have him on. He's got to be your first guest. And I'm so grateful that he said, yes, he's like super famous. And what does he do? He decided a year after his son was murdered that he was going to purposely forgive this guy 
got him a lower jail sentence. I mean, he's he's on a level that I can't even, but I'm, I'm sharing the story because, you know, for our listeners who have heard the story, it's actually unbelievable what he decided to do with this moment in time. But he went to the trial and he forgave the guy publicly and the guy got a lot less time in jail. And when he came out, now he speaks all over the world about the tragedy of youth violence and he prevents terrible things from happening every single day. Now, why am I sharing that with you? Because I think when I said to you, how do you, how do you forgive God? Because to me, it's like everything you said, I agree with a hundred percent that it's not, it's not even up to us to forgive God. First, Does God need our forgiveness? No, he's way powerful than all he, she is way powerful than all of us, but we can't understand God's ways. But, but, but for me, it's like, how do you forgive it that it happened in the first place? Number one, number two, how do you forgive the, the murderer? I'm not saying that we should like go to his house, sing Kumbaya and like do what Azim did. That's like a level I can't even touch. But I, but, but when I say the bedtime Shema every night, which is like my favorite prayer, it's the best sleep medicine in the world. When I actually say the words, even if I don't feel them, because I, why do you think I started this podcast? I have trouble forgiving also. I had, I came from a house of domestic violence and things that I had to forgive for years and, and anxieties. And, and that line that says, I hereby forgive anyone that damaged me, my family, people that I love through my property, through all, all those things. And we have to go through that list. It's hard for me to say it, but just by saying the words and, and trying, I believe something happens in the world where, where we can actually start to become the better versions of ourselves as humanity, right? Right. Um, so I'm not asking you to forget to forgive no, it. I, I mean, it's what you're saying is obviously, I mean, any psychologist, any therapist would say that that's the healthy way of looking at things. Again, maybe it's my weakness, but I don't, I'm not even like at that place in my life that I could even think of the word forgiveness and that guy in the same sentence, but maybe one day, who knows? Right. And you know what? It's not even important. I was just curious how you personally get up every day. When, when all of this has happened and, and you answered it so beautifully, I, I'm, I'm beyond amazed and moved by you. And the purpose of this podcast is actually not to like everybody forgive everybody and it's done. It, it's, it's more like a group therapy session for all of us as we're all, every single person on the planet is dealing with multiple forgiveness stories at a time. You wouldn't be human if you weren't, but I think that is, you know, that's the rub that that's part of our job as human beings yeah. as, as we get through things. So tell us one thing that you wish every single human in the world knew how, how to live a life of more freedom. What's one tip you have? I think this concept of a bucket list is something that in like Western society, we kind of like glorify, Oh, what's on your bucket list? I, I, I'm, I'm like fundamentally opposed to the concept of a bucket list. Um, I don't understand why in 2022, if something's on your list, why would you not do it? Like, why leave something on the list? Um, you know, if my career can teach anyone anything, it's that there is literally nothing, but I, I mean nothing that's impossible today. I mean, given the tools and resources we have at our disposal, I mean, me, we, we grew up on Alyssa Milano. Remember, who's the boss? I, I'm sure you had a crush on Alyssa Milano just like I did. We all had crushes on Alyssa Milano. And now, as, as funny as this, these words that I'm about to say are, I'm friends with Alyssa Milano. Like, yeah, like she follows me on Twitter. We talk like we're like, <laughs> what, no, but I'm saying on what planet, in what universe is that possible? Ellen DeGeneres follows me on Twitter. Like it's crazy. And so- Oh my God, my, that's amazing. Yeah. So, so I'm saying my career is by all definitions of the word, by all standards, impossible to have happened. And yet it happened. Here I am, some guy who just loved tech. I'm not an engineer. I didn't build any billion dollar companies, just a guy who loved tech and went all in on his passion. And here I am working with Google and working with Microsoft. And it's crazy. None of it makes any sense, but it happened. And the reason it happened, the only reason that it happened is because I ignored all the people that told me it's impossible. And I went in on my passion and I ignored everyone. So if I want to leave a message to people, I was like, just, if you have something on your list, just do it. Don't leave it on your list. What are you waiting for? That's that's my that's my message. Just to quickly circle back to the first thing you said, which again was so courageous to share that that you did stuff with him. I think it's fair to say that it's more about you know forgiving both of you yourself and him for for not making that time and doing the last thing you said, which was like don't have a bucket list if if you've got something to share with somebody and they're really important to you. Don't let a night go by, if, if, especially if you're upset, right? Is that fair to say that you would, how would you speak to that? 
It's an interesting question. I, I uh, yeah, hundred percent. I mean, it's the same concept. Like I said about the bucket list, you know, I don't, I'm not the type, I'm not the whole, like, you know, this might be your last day on earth. Yes, that's true. But it's not even from that perspective. It's if you want to do something, why would you, why would you, um, what's the word I'm looking for? You're, you're, you're basically like punishing yourself and you're, you're depriving yourself of something that you want to do and that you can do. You know, my wife wanted to jump out of a plane. I can't relate. I don't know why, but she wanted to. So she did it. I wanted to meet the founder of Apple, Steve Wozniak. It was a dream of mine. So I did it. To be clear, I'm not saying that if you have a dream to be the president of the United States, you're, you know, going to necessarily be the president of the United States. But I will say that, you know, the famous expression, aim for the stars, land on the moon, aim for the moon, land on the stars, whatever it is. Uh, you know, I, people say to me all the time, I'm looking for a job. And I'm like, okay, what do you want to do? They're like, well, I've done this. I can do this. I'm like, stop, stop. I don't care what you've done. I don't care what you, I want to know what you want to do. If you wake up tomorrow morning and you are living your dream, what does that look like? And they say, wow, I never thought about that. And, and I say to them, it's important to think about it that way, because if your goal is here and you start here, you might end up here. But if you start at what I've done or what I can do, you're starting at the bottom. You have to work your way all the way up. Start at the top. So that's, you know, just my philosophy on life. Aim high, go big or go home. I don't know. Yeah. It's like Gay Hendricks, like zone of genius versus zone of X. Like I can do this really well and I'll probably make a living at it, but what do you really want to do? I met a woman a couple of weeks ago, very impressive woman. Uh, she connected me on LinkedIn. She's in marketing and we're sitting there we're talking marketing. And I said, I don't even remember why. I guess she was looking for her next, I don't know. And I said to her, so like, what's your dream? And I expect her to say, to be like CMO of Google or, and she's like, oh, I want to be a marathon runner and an athlete. I'm like, what? What are you doing in marketing? What's wrong with you? And she's like, nah, I'm too old. I'm like, are you kidding me? You're not even 30 years old. She's like, nah. I'm like, okay, stop. And I literally on in the meeting wrote a WhatsApp to BD Deutsch, who's the religious runner who almost made it into the Olympics. I don't know if you know her. She's unbelievable. Look her up, BD Deutsch. She's a religious woman, mother of I don't even know how many kids, and she was almost in the Olympics. Like it's crazy. Yes, 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 yes. I, I did see so that. Yeah. I literally WhatsApp BD. I'm like, BD, I'm sitting with this woman right now who dreams of being you, basically, I want you to speak to her. And she's like, fine, for sure. So they like, you know, so I, I said, this one, like, you're, you're, you want to be a marathon? Why would you not do that? Like, I don't, so that's just, I guess, just the way I operate. If I want to do something, I'm going to do it. Or I'm going to try to do it at least. Well, may that fire that you have always carry you through the difficult times, because to me, that's living. So if you're ever struggling with depression or feeling down to the ground, listen back to what you just said on this podcast. Cause that, to me, that's the most inspiring thing someone could say, like seize life, you know, focus high. I want to leave you with one more important thing that I, I heard recently Great. that resonated with me so strongly. It was a video online. I think it was on TikTok. What if I told you that every, every type of anxiety um, has one source, one single source for all anxiety. The source of all anxiety is the thought that something is going to happen and I will not be okay. Whether it's money, whether it's health, whether it's losing the lust, something's going to happen and I will not be okay. And that is where anxiety comes from. But, but wait a second, let's dissect this. You're 43 years old, things have happened to you and you're okay, you're here. So what evidence do you have to the fact that one day something will happen and you won't be okay? Things will happen and you will be okay, just like you've been okay till today. Yes, you'll deal with challenges, but there is no data there is no evidence to back up the claim that one day something will happen and I will not be okay. You will be okay because you've been okay. And so that thought for me has really comforted me in times of anxiety. It will be okay. That's it. The, the just the last three words or four words that someone told me, and it's so simplistic and it's so obvious, but it's so profound. This too shall pass. That's it. Good. This too shall pass. Bad. This too shall pass. Prepare yourself. It will pass for better or for worse, and you'll move on. And you'll, you know, my, my biggest fear is my career ending. It's going to happen eventually. This too shall pass, and then I'll reinvent myself, just like I did till now. That's my my biggest lesson for your for your listeners. Thank you. And you know what? I thought you were going to say fear is the false evidence that appears real. That's what I thought the four words are going to say. And the last question I have is, how do you deal with your own failures? Oh the gosh. Forgiveness, freedom, and failure. I know. I'm asking the hard-hitting questions. Uh, so this is a, this is a rough one for me. I got to be honest with you. Uh, first of all, you said you said in the beginning that like you know my pictures on the internet. Like I think by now we all know that what's portrayed on the internet is not necessarily always accurate and always true. And so yes, I portray this like perfect, happy, blah blah blah. And obviously, I'm struggling a lot internally, like everyone is. Um, and I'm also I've learned about myself over the past couple of years, for better or for worse. I'm a people pleaser. 
I like when people like me. I mean, I guess we all like when people like them, but I guess there's different levels. And for me, it's important that people like me. Um, and, and I know that sounds weird, but I, that's just a realization that I've had. And so when people don't like me, which is part of the turf of being very outspoken on the internet, because there are always going to be haters and people that are jealous and people, whatever. And so I've had my fair share over the years, uh, specifically now without getting too much into it, but I'm dealing right now with a, with a crisis. I don't know if you want to call it that, but being targeted very badly online and it's really rough for me. And so, you know, when I, when I have failures that anger people, even if it's justified, even if it's not justified, if it is justified, it's not, it doesn't matter. What, if I did something to make someone not like me, I have a problem and I don't, and I, I don't, I'm, I'm dealing with it right now. I don't know how to cope with it. I don't know how to build that thick skin and just, you know, brush it off of me. It, it gets to me and it weighs on me. And sometimes I feel like it's all not worth it. I'll just go be like a janitor or something, or I'll work at some company and not have to worry about this quote unquote, I'm sorry for using this word, this celebrity thing where I'm, you know, being hated upon all the time. I mean, a couple of weeks ago, I posted a a picture of a panel of judges that I was on at a an ultra orthodox ultra orthodox institution that have separate events for men and women. And so at the men events, the panel is all male judges. At the women events, it's female judges. So I posted a picture of this panel, and I got absolutely massacred on LinkedIn by hundreds of very militant feminists who were saying to me, "It's 2022. Why are there no women on the panel?" I said, "Stop! You're you're barking up the wrong tree. Like you're right." This institution specifically trains 20% of the country's female engineers. This is not a chauvinist, sexist institution. I am all for promoting women. You're attacking someone for no, this is not it. But, and, and you know, it, it shouldn't bother me by now. I should be used to it, but I'm not, unfortunately. So it is a challenge of mine. That's the answer to your question is with my failures, I have a hard time dealing with it. I'm learning. You're amazing. Everything you've said, it's like, you just keep one-upping what I thought you might even say. You're so humble. And your parents did so many good things. And and they're continuing, obviously, because kids are not, as you know, you have growing children. It never ends. And I'm I'm just so impressed with you. I'm so grateful that you took the time to, to hang out with me today. I, next time I'm in Israel, I definitely want to hang out with you. Thank you for your courage. And thank you for living on your brother's legacy and your parents' legacy. What a joy and an honor to get to spend a few moments with you sitting and learning. And I think that this is going to cheer up a lot of hearts. Uh, I want to just give you a blessing, you and your whole family, that the loss that we all suffered as a, as a world, but it should, we, we should learn from the fire that is, is in your family. And we, we should just keep go- growing from strength to strength and, and really just keep reaching for those, the moon. <laughs> the moon Amen. Great to, great to be here. Thank you so much for having me. And uh, yeah, definitely looking forward to grabbing lunch when you're here in Israel. Yeah, me too. All right. Here are some of the takeaways I got from this episode. I hope that you add to them. And if you found anything that I didn't, please email them to me. Number one takeaway, most important one that I think is mentioned throughout this episode is do not put off till tomorrow what you could do today. If you have any sort of bones to pick with someone, you want to get something off your chest, do it. Whether they're someone you just see once a week, once a year, or every single day, sit and talk about what's on your heart right now because you never want to regret not saying something. After his brother Ari was killed, Hillel's parents opened up the Torah to read where the name Ari was mentioned, and they found two places. In the Torah, the word Ari is defined as a lion, and for some reason, Rashi, most famous Torah commentator, who was quoting Unculus, another Torah commentator, saying, They'll settle the land with strength and heroism, which totally defines who Ari was. The second time the word Ari is mentioned is in the Torah where it says, he won't sleep. They overcome their desires to observe the commandments, talit, shema, and prayer. And that basically is who Ari was. He never slept. He kept his seat seat out. Also, he said the shema, and he was very passionate about that prayer, as well as just praying in general. May his soul have an aliyah. May his soul go up higher and higher with everyone who listens to this podcast and thinks about him and does something to stand up for the little people in life, no matter who you're fighting for. When asked, what makes you feel alive? Hillel said, giving a stage to others and praising others. And furthermore, when someone asked, when you praise others, how does it make you feel? Hillel said, I feel like I love praising others because it brings my life more life, and I feel completed. And when Hillel decided to one day look at his own name, he realized that his name is Hillel Chaim Shlomo, which literally means Hillel, to praise. Chaim, life. Shlomo, to feel completed. 
or to be completed. And as a general note, even though we go all over the place in this interview, I mentioned that the through line is godliness, and we keep going back to something really spiritual. It's a really spiritual conversation. Hillel made me cry because when I asked him, what is your biggest forgiveness story that happened in your life? He didn't say, trying to forgive the murderer of my brother. Instead, he said himself uh, for allowing days to go by without forgiving his brother who is no longer here physically to do so. He disagrees with the premise that we should forgive God for the bad things that happen in life. He says, God doesn't make the bad things happen. However, he may allow for some of the bad things to happen, and we can't possibly pretend to understand why the bad things happen in life. Even trying to understand it is futile. He speaks so well about this on such a high level and something people really need to hear. I don't walk around harboring anger, he says, but I don't feel the need to forgive the murderer. It's not always eating me up inside. And I really respect that. I have had so many people on this podcast talking about how they really struggle with forgiving, but they actually do it. And he was very honest and authentically said, I haven't found a way to forgive him yet, but I am going to work on it. And I probably should be working on it. I just thought that was so beautiful and brave. After the murder of his brother took place, he hadn't really felt like he was in a good place for a while. He didn't know how to get past it, but his friends wouldn't let him stay down. His advice is, When you know someone going through a very, very traumatic time, the best thing you can do is just do for them and their family. Don't ask, what can I do? Because that puts them in an awkward position because most people don't want to be given to or even know in that moment how to receive when their whole world is falling apart and also makes them have to be really vulnerable when they're already feeling that way and say, oh, I really need this or I really need that. And sometimes what they really need is just for someone to do something for them. Take the time, take a deep breath, pray about it and say, hmm, how, how is the best way that I could help this person? And the ideas will come to you. And in Ari's case, it really worked. He had a friend who sat him down for lunch and said, I'm giving you this job. You need to provide for your family and this is perfect for you. And it may have saved his life. I love that Hillel says, I'm fundamentally opposed to a bucket list. Whatever you want to do in your life, go do it right now. Stop keeping a list of it. Go and do it. And also ignore anyone that says you can't do what you want to do. And finally, if you aim for the moon, you might just land on a star. Not only did Casey Kasem say that, but also Hillel Fold. I hope that your heart got something very meaningful from this episode. I really felt so honored to get to sit with Hillel and listen to his story. And if you got something out of it, please share it with somebody and let us know. Email us. Tell us how you're liking the episodes, things that you like, things that you don't like. If you know someone with a great forgiveness story, we're always looking for great stories. And please leave us a testimonial if you're listening to this on iTunes or post about it on your Facebook page or on Instagram and tag us. Uh, You can tag me, Barbie Heller, on Instagram. Thanks again for taking the time to listen to See One Beautiful Soul. If you know somebody with a great story about forgiveness, failure, or freedom, please share them with us. If you learned something new or feel like something from this episode could inspire someone else, please share the episode on your Facebook page or Instagram and tag that person and tag us too. You can find all of our social medias, drop us a note, or join our newsletter at www www.c1beautifulsoul.com. Please don't forget to subscribe and review us on iTunes, Spotify, or anywhere else you hear podcasts. May we all choose to look for the light in ourselves and each other in all ways, always. Always.